This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. We'll get there in a few minutes. Colossians is a a small letter of uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, back half of your Bible, about halfway through. So you can be finding Colossians. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning. Before we move into the first of uh, first message in a series through Colossians, and, and I don't even ha- know how long we're going to be in Colossians, right? We're going to be in Colossians until God's done with us. So it may be 12 weeks, it may be 8 weeks, it may be 16 weeks. We may break for a message here or there. But I think the, um, the, the call to, to preach Colossians, the conviction to preach through Colossians right now is so overwhelming um, that uh, I couldn't even say, you know, we're going to do it for six weeks or eight weeks. But God, here we are. Here's your word to us through Colossians. Have your way with us um, as we make our way through Colossians. I want to give you an update now that we have finished December and January, our Greater Impact special offering. Our goal was $42,000. You guys gave $51,113. So... Great job. I thank God for you. I thank God for the generosity uh, that you've shown. I thank God for, for many of you who truly did give sacrificially, right? You winced a little as you went online and gave or as you wrote that check. Um, and that money, all of that money will go to advance the gospel uh, in very uh, central and significant ways in our church and our community around our nation and around the world. So I'm excited uh, about that. Grateful uh, to God, to you guys for all uh, that you did in those two months, those two months. Um, I would ask you, if you would, this morning, and as we go through our time together in Colossians, to, um, to pray with me for who we are as a church in, in very disorienting times. Uh, this is not the first time in the history of the church um, where we as followers of Jesus, as local churches, have found ourselves in a time of, of massive uh, cultural upheaval and a time that is, uh, as I said, not only disorienting and, and kind of unbalancing, uh, but just takes an effect on you somewhat over time. Pray uh, with me and pray for me, if you would, as, as I um, continue to just marinate in Colossians week by week. Uh, studying, praying, allowing God to do His business uh, in me before I stand up here um, with you on Sunday mornings. This last week, uh, on the 4th, David Brooks, who's one of my favorite columnists to follow, favorite writers to follow, um, wrote an article that was uh, published in the, the New York Times called uh, The Dissenters Trying to Save evangelicalism from itself. The dissenters trying to save evangelicalism from itself. Now, I know that in here, there are going to be be many of us uh, in any gathering who couldn't say exactly what evangelicalism is. And what David Brooks is using that term as, and what I use it as, is, is not to speak of a political voting block. 
And it's really important that we distinguish that. But to speak about what evangelicalism is theologically at its core, uh, and historically evangelicals, which Baptists would count ourselves among uh, evangelicals, have held four core convictions that separated evangelicals from, uh, in some sense, other parts of the wider global church. The first is uh, a conviction around the need for personal conversion, right? Evangelicals believe that you and I personally, as sinners, are in need of repentance before God and the forgiveness of God provided in and through Christ. So that's one uh, core conviction, personal conversion. The second is a commitment to the authority of Scripture, that we believe the Bible is indeed God's authoritative word to us, that the Bible, both Old and New Testament, speak to us because they are God's very words to us. So we share that conviction. The third is a conviction around missional engagement and missional living. Evangelicals believe theologically that we are to live gospel-saturated lives that result in evangelistic mission and social reform. That we believe that the, the gospel reshapes not only individual lives, but social structures and systems and cultures. And the last is just a, a conviction and commitment to the centrality of Christ. That we believe at the center of Christian faith is not church tradition, is not church authority, it's Christ himself and Christ alone. So that is what evangelicalism is theologically at its core. Make sense? So I want us to make sure we know that. In this article, The Dissenters Trying to Save Evangelicalism from Itself, Brooks opens like this. And this is online everywhere. You can Google it and find it, you know, after church um, and read it for yourself. It's a fantastic article. I really encourage you to read it. He starts out and he says, think of your 12 closest friends. I think for most of us, we couldn't get that done. So pick four, you know, or six or how many close friends you may have. Think of your 12 closest friends. These are people you vacation with, talk about your problems with, do life with in the most intimate and meaningful ways. Now, Imagine six of those people, if six of those people suddenly took a political or public position that you found utterly vile. Now imagine learning that those six people think that your position is utterly vile. You would suddenly realize that the people you thought you knew the best and cared about the most had actually been total strangers to you all along. You would feel disoriented, disturbed, moored. Your life would change. And then he says, this is what has happened over the past six years to millions of American Christians, especially evangelicals. My experience both as an evangelical, as a follower of Jesus in that tradition, and as a pastor is that he is absolutely right. Relationships have been wrecked. Friendships have been wrecked. Families have been divided. Churches have been divided. He cites a, a few of the core things that has, ha, have creeped into our lives as believers and as churches and divided us. I'll give you 
a few of his and a couple of mine that I see over the last six years. One is Donald Trump and January 6th. However you feel about all that certainly has been extremely divisive in the church to men and women seeking to follow Jesus. The racial realities that the death of George Floyd sort of ripped open in the United States and, and caused uh, uh, voices to be heard that hadn't been heard in a long time that just wanted to ex- express the experience they had had as Americans and as followers of Jesus in our churches. Cultural issues and wars around gender and sexuality. What does it mean to be male and female? What does it mean uh, to be human beings and sexual human beings made in the image of God? Christian nationalism as a, as a worldview and a value center. And then COVID. COVID just piled on top of all that that was already going on. And what we've seen is a fracturing in the communal life of so many of our churches. And yet, what we're starting to see, and I won't give you much of this now, is a few glimmers of hope. But I will tell you, the danger here, and this is why I ask you to pray for us, to pray for me. And this is always the danger when it comes to heresy and idolatry, when it comes to to taking things that are not of Christ, things that are of the world, and mixing them in with Christ. And then that becomes your value center, the center out of which you behave and make decisions and see the world. The danger is that it's so subtle and we don't see it usually. You with me? We don't see it. The reason you and I get deceived, the reason uh, Satan is described as the deceiver, his very name means that, is that th- there are, are hints and sort of sounds of the truth in these things that we clothe ourselves in. And we just don't notice it. It becomes the water we're swimming in all the time. And we need to notice it. This is what was going on in Colossae. This was what was going on in the life of the church in Colossae in Paul's day that so disturbed him, a church he'd never been to, a church he didn't start. It was started by a a, a man who was led to faith in Christ by the ministry of Paul. But this was going on inside the church. They were losing their way. Not so much because of voices outside the church, but because voices inside the church were bringing those inside. And we're advocating for these things as truth. And all of a sudden, the church there began having disagreements. And factions and divisions rose up and disputes, and they began losing their joy. And again, these these false teachings, these heresies were, were being promoted inside the church. Right? That was the problem. It so concerned Paul. And what Paul wanted to do was recenter the believers in Colossae, in Jesus Christ and him alone. The centrality of Christ and him crucified so that they do not lose their way. Martin Lloyd-Jones made this statement about Paul's teaching to Colossae and the church of the first century in general. He said, the first century church was constantly fighting for her existence. 
And he, he, he didn't mean that she was in danger of actually being snuffed out. Jesus was very clear that he'll build his church and that the gates of hell itself cannot prevail over Christ's community. But all kinds of false teachings and heresies and ideologies and beliefs were creeping in. And Paul and others were having to constantly encourage the first century church to stand on the apostolic doctrines of truth, those gospel-centered truths that we find in Scripture. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. You don't often start an expositional study through a book in the second chapter of it. But we're going to do that this morning because I want us to, uh, to get an idea why Paul was writing, why the whole letter of Colossians exists in the first place, all right, so that we can filter as we're going through what Paul is saying through this lens. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I'll read 1 through 8 just to give 8 some context, uh, and then we'll just drill down in verse 8 this morning. I want you to know how hard... I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Don't miss that. Paul is saying at the center of why I'm writing you is that you and all who may be recipients of hearing this letter read in your presence under the power of the Holy Spirit, who haven't met me, may be encouraged in heart and united in love. If there's anything I think the church in our day, in our place, in our time right now needs, it is to be encouraged in heart and united in love. We need to be encouraged in heart and united in love. You need to be, as individuals, encouraged in heart and united to your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church specifically and beyond. In love. He says that he writes so they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, don't miss it as we're rolling along here. Part of what Paul is saying is that when you and I become discouraged in heart and, and disunited, ununited, we, we, the, the unity that we're to have as the body of Christ is fractured, that prevents us from having the full riches of complete understanding in the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul's saying when, when a local church lacks the kind of encouragement of heart and unity and love that God intends that Jesus prayed for the night before his crucifixion, it prohibits our spiritual growth. It prohibits you from understanding the deep and great and rich and beautiful things of God found only in Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. Does Paul say some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? No, he doesn't. I'm not going to do the Dr. Vong thing and put his hand up on his ear, but no, he doesn't. He says all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I would, I suggest to you that many of us truly don't believe this. We don't believe that all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in God through Jesus Christ. We, we're, we've kind of got Christ for this area of our life. I'll take some Jesus so I'm secure, you know, if something happens to me, if I need somebody to pray to before a test, right? If I'm struggling in my marriage, I'll reach out and say, could you give me a dash of help? But, but God will not be our personal assistant, right? Paul says that all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ, are found in Christ. It doesn't mean that, that we don't learn things from different disciplines and different sciences and different um, groups of study, but it means that everything that we find that is true has its root and origin in Christ himself. Verse four, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. If there is anything, if there is anything that has characterized large swaths of evangelical and Baptist life over the last six years, it is deception by fine-sounding arguments by people on this radio station, this news channel, this social media site. We're just constantly jumping all over, grabbing, promoting it. We are people who have been easily deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Verse 6, So the, Believe it or not, this is not even the exposition of this. We'll get to this in weeks and weeks. But, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This is, this is part of the central antidote that Paul is giving for the sickness that the Colossians are going through. He says, just as you received Jesus Christ with the same truth, the same grace, the same understanding, you've got to continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving or thankfulness. You ever met anybody that's just overflowing with thankfulness? They are the very opposite of entitlement, right? Just grateful for everything, usually smiling, usually filled with joy, usually happy. They never expect anything. They're just grateful for everything that God sends their way. They know that every good and perfect gift comes down from God in heaven who doesn't change like shifting sands. Now look at verse 8. Verse 8 is, is, a, is a, a single summary statement of why Paul felt compelled to write this letter. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition 
and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. Rather than Christ. Now, we're going to pick apart verse 8 here, but before we do, briefly, I have to say a word about the Roman Empire, because to understand what's going on in the letter of Colossians, you and I have got to understand some about Rome itself, right? And it's hard to to say I'm going to sum up Rome here in about 90 seconds, but that's what I've got, right? So Rome ruled the world for 1,500 years plus. 1,500 years. This July, the United States will be 246 years old. Rome ruled the world for 1,500 years. You and I are recipients of the influence of the Greco-Roman world and Roman systems and practices and thoughts more than we would ever understand. At its zenith, the Roman Empire stretched over four million miles across. Four million thirty thousand miles from England to India. It's massive, massive. I was um, talking with Dr. Vong. We went to dinner this last week, and we we're talking about some of his pastoral work in Denmark. And he'd pastored in in both of the historic capitals of Denmark. And he mentioned the first one. Um, was the capital. I said, not Copenhagen. He said, no, no, no. Copenhagen's only been the capital for 800 years. And I, I just thought about that perspective versus ours. Copenhagen's only been the capital of Denmark for 800 years. Rome gave the world three great things, Roman law, Roman roads, and Roman peace in their day. If you were part of the empire, if you weren't, there was not much peace for you. Roman law Um, the Romans understood that if people felt heard and acknowledged and felt like they had gears to to achieve justice, they had a really really complex and advanced court system there. Ways to sue one another and uh, laws that were very strong laws yet able to be applied flexibly. And it provided Roman citizens and those within the empire with a means by which they could feel like they could attain some measures of justice. And Rome knew that that was the best way to keep people satisfied and calm. I, I jotted down just a few that, that we inherited. Checks and balances, vetoes, separation of powers, term limits, regular elections. All of these come from the Roman legal system. Roman roads. Roman roads. How many of you have ever just driven on a terrible highway? Right? It's like you're traveling down Interstate 20 and then you get to Louisiana. And you don't have to see a state sign. You can close your eyes and feel that you've entered Louisiana. Right? The first Roman road was built in 312 B.C. 312 B.C. And by the second century, there were over 50,000 miles of roads in the Roman Empire, all leading in one way or another to Rome really advanced. And I tell you this because what it did uh, was give them what the internet has given us. It, is, it shrank their world, right? All of a sudden, people could travel like they couldn't travel before, especially when you throw the Roman peace, the Pax Romana on top of that. Regular, average, everyday people could travel uh, in a way, by and large, without worrying about being accosted that only rich people and powerful people could travel in who could provide uh, private security before. 
And so all of a sudden this Roman road system is popping up and cultures are mixing and religions and worldviews. The technical term for this is syncretism. Taking a little from here, taking a little from there, taking a little from there, and mixing it together to make your worldview, your belief system. I submit to you that's exactly what has been happening on steroids in the church in our nation over the last six years and beyond, but it certainly picked up steam lately. And it's what was going on in Colossae. It was the struggle they were having. And this was the dark side of the good side, that people and ideas and cultures could travel. Commerce was more free. And finally, Roman peace. Like I said, for Roman citizens and those within the empire, for those who pushed against the empire or were outside there, there was no peace. Rome was brutal, violent, and quick with it. But these things created the environment that made a city like Colossae possible, where all of these different views, rooted in two things, hear me, What Paul is addressing and what they're struggling with as he encourages them not to be taken captive to hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elementary spiritual forces of this world, was Jewish traditionalism, a historical Jewish traditionalism that was being advocated for in the church in Colossae, mixed with elements of modern mystery religions. Right? And they say, well, you know, this seems good over here, and this couple's thriving, and this guy's really peaceful, and he prays to this God in this temple. I'm just going to take a little bit of that. And you've got these false teachers in the church saying, yes, and you have to do this, and you can't eat this, and you must show up for this, and you have to do that. And it all seemed very spiritual, and there was mass confusion. Paul says at the beginning of verse 8, he says, watch out. Watch out. See to it that no one takes you captive. He, he's speaking to them collectively and encouraging them to exercise active discernment individually. You watch out. You see to it. He's saying, be on guard for ideologies and philosophies and teachings and things that seem true and seem to have the ring of truth coming into your mind and taking the place of truth that is only centered in Christ. You've got to, you've got to take all of these things and sift them through Christ. You don't just bring your Christ to all of these things and say, I'm going to believe this. I'm just a Christian that believes these things too, right? You take all of these other things and you sift them through Jesus. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And I would just say, you and I need to be, we need to be deeply aware of our own ability and tendency to be deceived. To separate what my flesh wants and what I desire as a fallen human being in a moment, what makes me feel good or make me feel like I'm on top, from the truth that we find in Christ. And I would say, Uh, You know, on a large scale, take what you're hearing, take what you're seeing, take what you're reading, and sift it through the Sermon on the Mount. Heck, just sift it through the Beatitudes. Sift it through the Great Commission. Sift it through the Great Commandment to love God with all that you are and to love those around you just like you love yourself in Christ. Sift it through the fruit of the Spirit. Is this person, is this ideology, is this teaching, 
Does this promote love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Is it characterized by this? Watch out. Watch out. You and I are every bit as susceptible to being deceived and misled as the Christians Paul was writing to in his day. I would say more so because we have not only the ability to have to deal with people who may be uh, sitting around us in church or in our groups who are saying, you're crazy, this is what you should do, and this is true, but we can just turn up the volume and the hours we spend listening to everything. That's why Dr. Vaughn said uh, he'd let you go last week earlier than I did. He did just barely, but I make no apologies for preaching 45 minutes, none. In fact, it's only LM Kids that keeps me uh, from preaching an hour. I get one shot at you. We get one shot to sit under the Word of God. And it's barely scratching the surface on the hearts and minds of people who pump hours, hours of cable news and talk radio and social media into their systems. I didn't plan to say that, but I, I you know, I make no apologies. Um, look what Paul says. He, he says, be on guard, be paying attention, be thoughtful, be focused on Christ as Lord, lest you be taken captive. Lest you be taken captive. He's using uh, intentional language connected to slavery here. It's the picture of being carried off as plunder by some victor, somebody who's vanquished you and carried you off in plunder. A, a picture that is, is completely unfathomable for those who stand in Christ. He says, don't be carried off as plunder by an alien and ultimately anti-Christian form of teaching. Look as he continues to work this verse out. He says, what we're in danger of being carried off by are, ho are hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the elementary spiritual forces of this world. Paul's not opposed to philosophy as we would think, capital P, right? You study philosophy. Not that at all. It's not that at all. He's pointing back to a lot of, and as you unpack the rest of chapter two, you see this, this rigid traditionalism that they were bringing up. Jewish converts in the church were saying, no, it, it can't just be Christ, right? It has to be Christ and you have to do this and you can't do this and you must do this. And Paul's rejecting that. He's saying that is not the case at all. And it's deceptive and not only deceptive, but hollow. It cannot do what it promises it can. It's like all the things that you and I run after or have historically run after. I think this is starting to, to crack and to fall at the feet of, of new generations coming up in the United States, but um, like wealth and prosperity and, and a big house in a, in a subdivision just doesn't do for us all that it has promised to do for decades and decades and decades. We found out we're mentally unhealthy. Our divorce rates are extremely high. We're unstable. We're in debt. We're unhappy. Paul's saying this stuff it sounds true. Like if somebody's wanting to distort who Jesus was, they're not going to say, hey, I don't, I don't believe Jesus was the Lord and Messiah. I think he was a cucumber. You're going to go, you know, that dude is off, right? You just dismiss that. But when they start to tweak a little bit, 
of Jesus' identity, we begin to question. And Paul is saying, be alert to this. And then look at this phrase, elementary spiritual forces. There's a lot of debate, three or four things this could mean, but most scholars agree, and I tend to to think, given its context, Paul is, is simply referring to the principalities and powers of this world. At work, not only in your life and mine, but in the institutional life of societies and structures of societies, personalized spiritual forces that in this day we're seen as as influencing day-to-day existence. And Paul doesn't dismiss that. He says, behind some of this teaching, some of these mystery religions are the principalities and powers of this world. You and I wrestle with more than we are usually aware of. C.S. Lewis had... uh, something to say about this. And he said that typically you and I make two, uh, we make two main errors when it comes to demonic forces or evil forces. We make too much of them. Anybody ever been around someone that makes too much of that, right? You know, like, like if, if there's a loud noise right now, they're like, Satan did that, trying to distract you while you're preaching. I mean, it's everything, right? You drive to work, you get a flat, they're like, Satan trying to cause you to lose your job. No, brother, I, I ran over a two by four, Right? You know, but the other one and the one that we are more likely to be an heir of as Western modern Americans is to make too little of it, to just simply dismiss that there are demonic forces, there are evil forces that are at work and at play in our world. They're not on the same level of power with Christ, but they're very much at work and you and I need to acknowledge that. Paul says they're here and they are of this world. Paul's view of the world is that it's, it's alienated from God and in need of redemption and reconciliation. That's why mere worldly teaching is not good enough for the Apostle Paul. He says that these human traditions and these elementary spiritual forces are of this world rather than of Christ. Rather than of Christ. Let me summarize Colossians this way for us just by way of introduction. The the ultimate issue here is that these human traditions and these pieces of ideologies and mystery religions and things that were being brought into the life of the church, right? Being brought into the life. It's believers who are promoting this and causing fractions inside the church. They do two things. They devalue the supremacy of Christ. They devalue the supremacy of Christ, that Christ stands above and over all things at all times. And they devalue the adequacy of salvation through Christ. They devalue the supremacy of Christ. In other words, something else is made first in your life. And this happens to us far easier than we realize. Man, what you're most passionate about, what you can get angry about the quickest speaks to you about idolatry in your, in your life, right? So these, these human traditions and other ideologies and forms of teaching that come from man and not God devalue the supremacy of Christ and devalue the adequacy of our salvation in Christ. So Paul's response, ultimately, and we'll see this throughout the letter, Paul's response is to say again and again in Colossians that all the fullness of God, the deity, dwells in Christ. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ. New Testament scholar David Garland says that all knowledge is to be seen through Christ and him alone. Again, you take all of this other stuff and you filter it through Christ. 
You filter it through Christ. I was listening to a podcast uh, some weeks back, uh, and, and Russell Moore was being interviewed, and uh, a young woman had sent a, a question in, just asking his opinion. She said she grew up in a really fundamental traditional church background, very hard, very rigid, even harder and more rigid on women. And she said she grew up in that and she was just deeply wounded by it. And as she was able to leave on her own, she kind of got out of that and drifted toward the other spectrum within the church, more liberal. And she said over time, she found that completely hollow and wanting. There was no foundation, no substance there. And she's really broken. And she said, I don't know what to think about God. I don't know who God is anymore. I'm in danger of just completely losing and leaving my faith, but I sense there's something true. I don't know what to do. And Moore just said, go back to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go back to the Gospels and read and meditate and commune with Jesus. All the fullness of the deity dwells in Christ. Second, believers are complete in Christ. It's not Christ and, Christ and success, Christ and a perfect marriage, Christ and kids who are, who are sports superstars, Christ and the ability to climb the corporate ladder, Christ and anything else. It's not Christ and and legal obedience to this, Christ and performance in that. Believers are complete in Christ. Third and final, Christ has authority over all powers on earth and in heaven, seen and unseen. Christ has all authority over all powers on earth and in heaven, seen and unseen. You and I have nothing to value and nothing to fear in the principalities and powers of this world. Christ has authority over all the powers on earth and in heaven, seen and unseen. And anytime you and I replace Christ, anytime we water down Christ, we add to Christ as the center of all truth, it is idolatry, period. Brooks ends his article to return back with a, with a word of hope. He says, out of all of this division and rancor and shock and disorientation, we're beginning to see flickers of light and hope. We're beginning to see prophetic voices from men and women, those at, crying, if you will, as voices in the wilderness, crossing denominational lines, stepping over networks where they never would have met themselves, and coming together saying, can we once again submit ourselves with humility and adaptability to Jesus Christ as Lord? Come back to the Scripture walk out of all these other camps and be formed again as communities of Christ under his lordship and his lordship alone. He says this, the age of the autonomous individual, the age of the narcissistic self, the age of consumerism and moral drift has left us with bitterness and division, a surging mental health crisis and people just being nasty to one another, right? I mean, doesn't that just describe what we've seen the last few years, people just being nasty to each other. Christians being nasty. Family members. Some of you knew you had crazy family members. You didn't know how crazy, right, until the last six years and then COVID hit. And you're like, like I knew they were nutty. I didn't know they were off the, like, off the charts crazy. Millions are looking for something else. 
some system of belief that is communal, that gives life transcendent meaning. Christianity is the potential answer for that search, and therein lies its hope and the great possibility of renewing its call. I would say to you that Christianity is the answer for that search, but it's not going to take the form in the years to come that it has in the years past. It better not. Out of this is going to come something better, something more beautiful, something more faithful. For the the true gospel and the true true church is ever being reformed by the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.